Psalm 17 of the Treasury of David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephanie. The Treasury of David, Volume 1, by Charles Spurgeon. Psalm 17. Title and Subject. A Prayer of David. David would not have been a man after God's own heart if he had not been a man of prayer. He was a master in the sacred art of supplication. He flies to prayer in all times of need, as a pilot speeds to the harbor in the stress of tempest. So frequent were David's prayers that they could not all be dated and entitled, and hence this simply bears the author's name and nothing more. The smell of the furnace is upon the present psalm, but there is evidence in the last verse that he who wrote it came unharmed out of the flame. We have in the present plaintive song an appeal to heaven from the persecutions of earth. A spiritual eye may see Jesus here. Divisions. There are no very clear lines of demarcation between the parts, but we prefer the division adopted by that precious old commentator David Dixon. In verses 1 through 4, David craves justice in the controversy between him and his oppressors. In verses 5 and 6, he requests of the Lord grace to act rightly while under trial. From verse 7 through 12, he seeks protection from his foes, whom he graphically describes. And in verses 13 and 14, pleads that they may be disappointed, closing the whole in the most comfortable confidence that all would certainly be well with himself at the last. Exposition verse 1 Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Verse 2 Let my sentence come forth from thy presence, let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Verse 3 Thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me, and shalt find nothing, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Verse 4. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. 1. Hear the right, O Lord. He that has the worst cause makes the most noise. Hence the oppressed soul is apprehensive that its voice may be drowned, and therefore pleads in this one verse for a hearing no less than three times. The troubled heart craves for the ear of the great judge, persuaded that with him to hear is to redress. If our God could not or would not hear us, our state would be deplorable indeed, and yet some professors set such small store by the mercy seat that God does not hear them for the simple reason that they neglect to plead. As well have no house if we persist like gypsies in living in the lanes and commons, as well have no mercy seat as be always defending our own cause and never going to God. There is more fear that we will not hear the Lord than that the Lord will not hear us. Hear the right. It is well if our case is good in itself and can be urged as a right one, for right shall never be wronged by our righteous judge. But if our suit be marred by our infirmities, it is a great privilege that we may make mention of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus, which is ever prevalent on high. 
upright has a voice which jehovah always hears and if my wrongs clamor against me with great force and fury i will pray the lord to hear that still louder and mightier voice of the right and the rights of his dear son hear o god the just one i e hear the messiah is a rendering adopted by jerome and admired by bishop horsley whether correct or not as a translation it is proper enough as a plea let the reader plead it at the throne of the righteous god even when all other arguments are unavailing attend unto my cry this shows the vehemence and earnestness of the petitioner he is no mere talker he weeps and laments who can resist a cry a real hearty bitter piteous cry might almost melt a rock there can be no fear of its prevalence with our heavenly father a cry is our earliest utterance and in many ways the most natural of human sounds if our prayers should like the infant's cry be more natural than intelligent and more earnest than elegant it will be none the less eloquent with god there is a mighty power in a child's cry to prevail with a parent's heart give ear unto my prayer some repetitions are not vain the reduplication here used is neither superstition nor tautology but is like the repeated blow of a hammer hitting the same nail on the head to fix it the more effectually or the continued knocking of a beggar at the gate who cannot be denied an alms that goeth not out of feigned lips sincerity is a sin qua non in prayer lips of deceit are detestable to man and much more to god in intercourse so hallowed as that of prayer hypocrisy even in the remotest degree is as fatal as it is foolish hypocritical piety is double iniquity he who would feign and flatter had better try his craft with a fool like himself for to deceive the all-seeing one is as impossible as to take the moon in a net or to lead the sun into a snare he who would deceive god is himself already most grossly deceived our sincerity in prayer has no merit in it any more than the earnestness of a mendicant in the street but at the same time the lord has regard to it through jesus and will not long refuse his ear to an honest and fervent petitioner two let my sentence come forth from thy presence the psalmist has now grown bold by the strengthening influence of prayer and he now entreats the judge of all the earth to give sentence upon his case he had been libeled basely and maliciously libeled and having brought his action before the highest court he like an innocent man has no desire to escape the inquiry but even invites and sues for judgment he does not ask for secrecy but would have the result come forth to the world he would have sentence pronounced and executed forthwith in some matters we may venture to be as bold as this but except we can plead something better than our own supposed innocence it were terrible presumption thus to challenge the judgment of a sin-hating god with jesus as our complete and all-glorious righteousness we need not fear though the day of judgment should commence at once and hell open her mouth at our feet but might joyfully prove the truth of our hymn-writer's holy boast bold shall i stand in that great day for who aught to my charge shall lay while through thy blood absolved i am from sin's tremendous curse and shame let thine eyes behold the things that are equal 
believers do not desire any other judge than god or to be excused from judgment or even to be judged on principles of partiality no our hope does not lie in the prospect of favoritism from god and the consequent suspension of his law we expect to be judged on the same principles as other men and through the blood and righteousness of our redeemer we shall pass the ordeal unscathed the lord will weigh us in the scales of justice fairly and justly he will not use false weights to permit us to escape but with the sternest equity those balances will be used upon us as well as upon others and with our blessed lord jesus as our all in all we tremble not for we shall not be found wanting in david's case he felt his cause to be so right that he simply desired the divine eyes to rest upon the matter and he was confident that equity would give him all that he needed three thou hast proved mine heart like peter david uses the argument thou knowest all things thou knowest that i love thee it is a most assuring thing to be able to appeal at once to the lord and call upon our judge to be a witness for our defence beloved if our heart condemn us not then have we confidence towards god thou hast visited me in the night as if he had said lord thou hast entered my house at all hours and thou hast seen me when no one else was nigh thou hast come upon me unawares and marked my unrestrained actions and thou knowest whether or no i am guilty of the crimes laid at my door happy man who can thus remember the omniscient eye and the omnipresent visitor and find comfort in the remembrance we hope we have had our midnight visits from our lord and truly they are sweet so sweet that the recollection of them sets us longing for more of such condescending communings lord if indeed we had been hypocrites should we have had such fellowship or feel such hungerings after a renewal of it thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing surely the psalmist means nothing hypocritical or wicked in the sense in which his slanderers accused him for if the lord should put the best of his people into the crucible the dross would be a fearful sight and would make penitence open her sluices wide assayers very soon detect the presence of alloy and when the chief of all assayers shall at the last say of us that he has found nothing it will be a glorious hour indeed they are without fault before the throne of god even here as viewed in our covenant head the lord sees no sin in jacob nor perverseness in israel even the all-detecting glance of omniscience can see no flaw where the great substitute covers all with beauty and perfection i am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress oh those sad lips of ours we had need purpose to purpose if we would keep them from exceeding their bounds the number of diseases of the tongue is as many as the diseases of all the rest of the man put together and they are more inveterate hands and feet one may bind but who can fetter the lips iron bands may hold a madman but what chains can restrain the tongue it needs more than a purpose to keep this nimble offender within its proper range lion taming and serpent charming are not to be mentioned in the same day as tongue taming for the tongue can no man tame those who have to smart from the falsehoods of others should be the more jealous over themselves perhaps this led the psalmist to register this holy resolution and moreover he intended thereby to aver that if he had said too much in his own defence it was not intentional 
for he desired in all respects to tune his lips to the sweet and simple music of truth. Notwithstanding all this, David was slandered, as if to show us that the purest innocence will be bemired by malice. There is no sunshine without shadow, no ripe fruit unpecked by the birds. 4. Concerning the Works of Men While we are in the midst of men, we shall have their works thrust under our notice, and we shall be compelled to keep a corner in our diary headed Concerning the Works of Men. To be quite clear from the dead works of carnal humanity is the devout desire of souls who are quickened by the Holy Spirit. By the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. He had kept the highway of Scripture, and not chosen the by-paths of malice. We should soon imitate the example of the worst of men if the grace of God did not use the word of God as the great preservative from evil. The paths of the destroyer have often tempted us, we have been prompted to become destroyers too when we have been sorely provoked and resentment has grown warm but we have remembered the example of our lord who would not call fire from heaven upon his enemies but meekly prayed father forgive them all the ways of sin are the paths of satan the apollyon or abaddon both of which words signify the destroyer Foolish indeed are those who give their hearts to the old murderer because for the time he panders to their evil desires. That heavenly book which lies neglected on many a shelf is the only guide for those who would avoid the enticing and entangling mazes of sin, and that is the best means of preserving the youthful pilgrim from ever treading those dangerous ways. We must follow the one or the other, the book of life or the way of death, the word of the Holy Spirit or the suggestion of the evil spirit. David could urge as the proof of his sincerity that he had no part or lot with the ungodly in their ruinous ways. How can we venture to plead our cause with God, unless we also can wash our hands clean of all connection with the enemies of the great king? Verse 5. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Verse 6. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. 5. Under trial it is not easy to behave ourselves aright. A candle is not easily kept alight when many envious mouths are puffing at it. In evil times prayer is peculiarly needful, and wise men resort to it at once. Plato said to one of his disciples, When men speak ill of thee, live so that no one will believe them. Good enough advice but he did not tell us how to carry it out. We have a precept here incorporated in an example. If we would be preserved, we must cry to the preserver and enlist divine support upon our side. Hold up my goings, as a careful driver holds up his horse when going downhill. We have all sorts of paces, both fast and slow, and the road is never long of one sort. But with God to hold up our goings, nothing in the pace or in the road can cast down. He who has been down once and cut his knees sadly, even to the bone, had need redouble his zeal when using this prayer, and all of us, since we are so weak on our legs through Adam's fall, had need use it every hour of the day. If a perfect father fell, how shall an imperfect son dare to boast? In thy paths. Forsaking Satan's paths, he prayed to be upheld in God's paths. We cannot keep from evil without keeping too good. If the bushel be not full of wheat, it may soon be once more full of chaff. 
In all the appointed ordinances and duties of our most holy faith, may the Lord enable us to run through his upholding grace. That my footsteps slip not. What? Slip in God's ways? Yes, the road is good, but our feet are evil, and therefore slip even on the king's highway. Who wonders if carnal men slide and fall in ways of their own choosing, which, like the vale of Siddim, are full of deadly slime-pits? One may trip over an ordinance as well as over a temptation. Jesus Christ himself is a stumbling-block to some, and the doctrines of grace have been the occasion of offense to many. Grace alone can hold up our goings in the paths of truth. 6. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Thou hast always heard me, O my Lord, and therefore I have the utmost confidence in again approaching thine altar. Experience is a blessed teacher. He who has tried the faithfulness of God in hours of need has great boldness in laying his case before the throne. The well of Bethlehem, from which we drew such cooling draughts in years gone by, our souls long for still, nor will we leave it for the broken cisterns of earth. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Stoop out of heaven, and put thine ear to thy mouth. Give me thine ear all to myself, as men do when they lean over to catch every word from their friend. The psalmist here comes back to his first prayer, and thus sets an example of pressing our suit again and again, until we have a full assurance that we have succeeded. Verse 7. Show thy marvelous loving-kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Verse 9. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. Verse 10. They are enclosed in their own fat, with their mouth they speak proudly. Verse 11. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Verse 12. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. Marvelous in its antiquity, its distinguishing character, its faithfulness, its immutability, and above all, marvelous in the wonders which it works that marvelous grace which has redeemed us with the precious blood of God's only begotten is here invoked to come to the rescue. That grace is sometimes hidden, the text says, show it. Present enjoyments of divine love are matchless cordials to support fainting hearts. Believer, what a prayer is this! Consider it well. O Lord, show thy marvelous loving kindness, show it to my intellect, and remove my ignorance. Show it to my heart, and revive my gratitude. Show it to my faith, and renew my confidence. Show it to my experience, and deliver me from all my fears. The original word here used is the same which in Psalm chapter 4 verse 3 is rendered set apart, and it has the force of distinguish thy mercies, set them out, and set apart the choices to be bestowed upon me in this hour of my severest affliction. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. The title here given to our gracious God is eminently consolatory. He is the God of salvation. It is his present and perpetual habit to save believers. 
he puts forth his best and most glorious strength using his right hand of wisdom and might to save all those of whatsoever rank or class who trust themselves with him happy faith thus to secure the omnipotent protection of heaven blessed god to be thus gracious to unworthy mortals when they have but grace to rely upon thee the right hand of god is interposed between the saints and all harm god is never at a loss for means his own bare hand is enough he works without tools as well as with them eight keep me as the apple of the eye no part of the body more precious more tender and more carefully guarded than the eye and of the eye no portion more peculiarly to be protected than the central apple the pupil or as the hebrew calls it the daughter of the eye the all-wise creator has placed the eye in a well-protected position it stands surrounded by projecting bones like jerusalem encircled by mountains moreover its great author has surrounded it with many tunics of inward covering besides the hedge of the eyebrows the curtain of the eyelids and the fence of the eyelashes and in addition to this he has given to every man so high a value for his eyes and so quick an apprehension of danger that no member of the body is more faithfully cared for than the organ of sight thus lord keep thou me for i trust i am one with jesus and so a member of his mystical body hide me under the shadow of thy wings even as the parent bird completely shields her brood from evil and meanwhile cherishes them with the warmth of her own heart by covering them with her wings so do thou with me most condescending god for i am thine offspring and thou hast a parent's love in perfection this last clause is in the hebrew in the future tense as if to show that what the writer had asked for but a moment before he was now sure would be granted to him confident expectation should keep pace with earnest supplication nine from the wicked that oppress me from my deadly enemies who compass me about the foes from whom david sought to be rescued were wicked men it is hopeful for us when our enemies are god's enemies they were deadly enemies whom nothing but his death would satisfy the foes of a believer's soul are mortal foes most emphatically for they who war against our faith aim at the very life of our life deadly sins are deadly enemies and what sin is there which hath not death in its bowels these foes oppressed david they laid his spirit waste as invading armies ravage a country or as wild beasts desolate a land he likens himself to a besieged city and complains that his foes compass him about it may well quicken our business upward when all around us every road is blockaded by deadly foes this is our daily position for all around us dangers and sins are lurking o god do thou protect us from them all ten they are enclosed in their own fat luxury and gluttony beget vainglorious fatness of heart which shuts up its gates against all compassionate emotions and reasonable judgments the old proverb says that full bellies make empty skulls and it is yet more true that they frequently make empty hearts the rankest weeds grow out of the fattest soil riches and self-indulgence are the fuel upon which some sins feed their flames pride and fullness of bread were sodom's twin sins ezekiel chapter sixteen verse forty nine fed hawks forget their masters and the moon at its fullest is furthest from the sun 
Eglin was a notable instance that a well-fed corporation is no security to life when a sharp message comes from God addressed to the inward vitals of the body. With their mouth they speak proudly. He who adores himself will have no heart to adore the Lord. Full of selfish pleasure within his heart, the wicked man fills his mouth with boastful and arrogant expressions. Prosperity and vanity often lodge together. Woe to the fed ox when it bellows at its owner. The pole-axe is not far off. 11. They have now compassed us in our steps. The fury of the ungodly is aimed not at one believer alone, but at all the band. They have compassed us. All the race of the Jews were but a morsel for Haman's hungry revenge, and all because of one Mordecai. The prince of darkness hates all the saints for their master's sake. The Lord Jesus is one of the us, and herein is our hope. He is the breaker and will clear a way for us through the hosts which environ us. The hatred of the powers of evil is continuous and energetic, for they watch every step, hoping that the time may come when they shall catch us by surprise. If our spiritual adversaries thus compass every step, how anxiously should we guard all our movements, lest by any means we should be betrayed into evil. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Trapp wittily explains this metaphor by an allusion to a bull when about to run at his victim. He lowers his head, looks downward, and then concentrates all his force in the dash which he makes. It most probably denotes the malicious jealousy with which the enemy watches the steps of the righteous, as if they studied the ground on which they trod, and searched after some wrong footmark to accuse them for the past, or some stumbling-stone to cast in their future path to trip them in days to come. 12. Lions are not more greedy, nor their ways more cunning, than are Satan and his helpers when engaged against the children of God. The blood of souls the adversary thirsts after, and all his strength and craft are exercised to the utmost to satisfy his detestable appetite. We are weak and foolish like sheep, but we have a shepherd wise and strong, who knows the old lion's wiles, and is more than a match for his force. Therefore will we not fear, but rest in safety in the fold. Let us beware, however, of our lurking foe, and in those parts of the road where we feel most secure, let us look about us, lest, peradventure, our foe should leap upon us. Verse 13. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked which is thy sword. Verse 14. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. 13. Arise, O Lord! The more furious the attack, the more fervent the psalmist's prayer. His eye rests singly upon the Almighty, and he feels that God has but to rise from the seat of his patience, and the work will be performed at once. Let the lion spring upon us. If Jehovah steps between, we need no better defense. When God meets our foe face to face in battle, the conflict will soon be over. Disappoint him. Be beforehand with him. Outwit and outrun him. Appoint it otherwise than he has appointed, and so disappoint him. Cast him down. Prostrate him. Make him sink upon his knees. Make him bow as the conquered bows before the conqueror. 
what a glorious sight will it be to behold satan prostrate beneath the foot of our glorious lord haste glorious day deliver my soul from the wicked which is thy sword he recognizes the most profane and oppressive as being under the providential rule of the king of kings and used as a sword in the divine hand what can a sword do unless it be wielded by a hand no more could the wicked annoy us unless the lord permitted them so to do most translators are however agreed that this is not the correct reading but that it should be as calvin puts it deliver my soul from the ungodly man by thy sword thus david contrasts the sword of the lord with human aids and reliefs and rests assured that he is safe enough under the patronage of heaven fourteen almost every word of this verse has furnished matter for discussion to scholars for it is very obscure we will therefore rest content with the common version rather than distract the reader with divers translations from men which are thy hand having styled the ungodly a sword in his father's hand he now likens them to that hand itself to set forth his conviction that god could as easily remove their violence as a man moves his own hand he will never slay his child with his own hand from men of the world mere earthworms not men of the world to come but mere dwellers in this narrow sphere of mortality having no hopes or wishes beyond the ground on which they tread which have their portion in this life like the prodigal they have their portion and are not content to wait their father's time like passion in the pilgrim's progress they have their best things first and revel during their little hour luther was always afraid lest he should have his portion here and therefore frequently gave away sums of money which had been presented to him we cannot have earth and heaven too for our choice and portion wise men choose that which will last the longest whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure their sensual appetite gets the gain which it craved for god gives to these swine the husks which they hunger for a generous man does not deny dogs their bones and our generous god gives even his enemies enough to fill them if they were not so unreasonable as never to be content gold and silver which are locked up in the dark treasuries of the earth are given to the wicked liberally and they therefore roll in all manner of carnal delights every dog has his day and they have theirs and a bright summer's day it seems but ah how soon it ends in night they are full of children this was their fondest hope that a race from their loins would prolong their names far down the page of history and god has granted them this also so that they have all that heart can wish what enviable creatures they seem but it is only seeming they are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes they were fat housekeepers and yet leave no lean wills living and dying they lacked for nothing but grace and alas that lack spoils everything they had a fair portion within the little circle of time but eternity entered not into their calculations they were penny-wise but pound-foolish they remembered the present and forgot the future they fought for the shell and lost the kernel how fine a description have we here of many a successful merchant or popular statesman and it is at first sight very showy and tempting but in contrast with the glories of the world to come what are these paltry molehill joys self 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 all these joys begin and end in basest selfishness 
but o our god how rich are those who begin and end in thee from all the contamination and injury which association with worldly men is sure to bring us deliver thou us o god verse fifteen as for me i will behold thy face in righteousness i shall be satisfied when i awake with thy likeness fifteen as for me i neither envy nor covet these men's happiness but partly have and partly hope for a far better to behold god's face and to be changed by that vision into his image so as to partake in his righteousness this is my noble ambition and in the prospect of this i cheerfully waive all my present enjoyments my satisfaction is to come i do not look for it as yet i shall sleep a while but i shall wake at the sound of the trumpet wake to everlasting joy because i arise in thy likeness o my god and king glimpses of glory good men have here below to stay their sacred hunger but the full feast awaits them in the upper skies compared with this deep ineffable eternal fullness of delight the joys of the worldling are as a glowworm to the sun or the drop of a bucket to the ocean end of psalm 17 Recording by Stephanie, Savannah, Georgia.